So this morning we are in the third week of a sermon series through the New Testament book of 1 Peter. It's a letter written by the Apostle Peter to uh, a group of Christians who are scattered throughout Asia Minor, which is part of modern-day Turkey. And I've entitled this sermon series Stranger because one of the main themes throughout the letter is that we live here as followers of Jesus, as strangers, as resident aliens in this world, that we are citizens of heaven, that our identity, our values, our hope are located in heaven, not in anything the culture tells us. And so we learn to live here, not assimilating into the culture, not completely standing off from the culture, but living here, loving the people here, but living knowing that our citizenship, our home is in heaven. And so as we learned last week, God calls us to be holy as he is holy, which means to be set apart for his use, to be separate, to be withdrawn from common use, to be his, to be completely his so that he can do what he will through our lives and through our church for his purposes. And this week we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. I read this passage last week, um, but I want to focus and dive a little deeper into this passage and look at particularly community why it's so important to belong to church community, why this church community that we have is so valuable and so important. So I'm going to read through 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word. Let's pray before we continue. Lord, we believe that this is your word delivered through Peter to us. We pray, God, that you would help us to understand what it means to take it to heart, that you would use this to shape our community and ourselves individually, Lord, that we might more fully reflect you in the way we live and the way we love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think this passage is a great passage for helping us to get a handle on what church is all about, what this community is all about why it's so important. I mean, if, if anything in this past year, many of you, I think, have recognized the epidemic that is loneliness, right? I mean, we've been so separated and so isolated, so many people, and loneliness has just been crushing for so many people. But God has given community. God has given us a community, called us to live in community. And so I want to just unpack a little bit of what this passage has to tell us about why it's so important to be a part of the church. So the first reason is this, the Christ in us of community. It's not a real word. I just made that one up. 
but I think it encapsulates what he's trying to get at, why it's so important to belong to a church, a church community. He talks about this. He says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter says, as you come to Jesus, it's not just an individual one-to-one thing, but you're also, as you come to Jesus, he fits you into this metaphorical spiritual house, this church community. There's many pictures in the New Testament given of the church. It's called the family of God in some places. It's called the body of Christ in some places. And here we get this metaphor of a spiritual house, of a temple, not a brick-and-mortar building, but a building made up of living stones, a figurative temple in which God dwells in the midst of his people. Take a quick tour through the history of God's presence in the Bible and in human history. Think of how in the beginning he dwelt and he walked, it says, with Adam and Eve. But then when they sinned and rebelled, it says they lost the presence of God. But then God would visit individuals and bring his presence to bear on people like Abraham, on Jacob, who would come and visit them individually. And then as he brought them out of Egypt through the Exodus, he went ahead of them in this pillar of smoke and cloud of, or cloud of smoke, pillar of fire. And then as they went into the wilderness, he gave them instructions to set up a tabernacle. He said, okay, I'm going to dwell in the midst of your community in this tabernacle, this tent in the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest once a year can go in on the day of atonement. And then the tabernacle, as they settled in the land, became the temple. This building where God, again, dwelt in the Holy of Holies with this curtain separating the Holy of Holies from everyone else. But then as Jesus came to earth, we had Emmanuel, God with us, God's presence in human form, come to dwell among his people. And then as Jesus died on the cross, remember the the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. That God destroyed that temple curtain, making a way for all who believed in Jesus to actually enter into the presence of God. No longer having to go through a mediator, through a priest, but to enter the presence of God themselves. And then he poured out his Holy Spirit. God gave his Holy Spirit to be his presence in every single, one, every single believer. But beyond that, he says, when you dwell together in my midst, in, in, when you come together as God's people, I dwell in your midst in a special way. That you together are the temple of God. We no longer need a building where God dwells. Now God dwells in the midst of his people. This is particularly meaningful for a church like ours that has had how many different buildings that we've met in for the 25-year history of our church? Almost 30 years, actually. We've gone from building to building to building because we know that the church is not a building. The church is the community of God's people, and God dwells in the midst of his people wherever we may be. And now, he says, we are all priests with direct access to God's presence. We don't need to rely on the high priests to go into the Holy of Holies. We can all, like priests, enter the presence of God. So the first reason that community is so important, the church is so important, is because God dwells in our midst in a special way, in a powerful way. Again, I know that many of you throughout this time have at times when you are tuning in, so to speak, from home, right? Where you're doing church from home because we've been forced to do that for so many people. 
to have to do church, so to speak, from home. But I've heard from so many of you as you come back into the building, you're like, it was great to be able to tune in from home, but oh, to be here in the presence of God's people, to be in the midst, it's just different, right? It's not meant to be something where you look at a TV screen or look at a phone screen. That's not church. Church is the community of God's people. So for those of you who are at home, as soon as you can, come back into community, into the midst. This is where God dwells in the midst of his people in a special way. So in this first Peter passage, Peter quotes from Isaiah 28, Psalm 118, to talk about Jesus as the cornerstone of this spiritual house, the foundation of the foundation. He's the stone the builders rejected, he says, that even though he came to his people, they rejected him, as it says in John 1. He was in the world, talking of Jesus, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He's the foundation of this spiritual house. And he says that your choice is either to build your life on that spiritual foundation or you're going to stumble over it as you reject him. Acts 4, 9 through 12, this is on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaching. He says, if we're being called to account today for an account of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Same thing that he's writing here. He's saying, Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the foundation of the foundation of this community. And you can either build your life upon him or reject him. But he is the only way to be saved. The only way to be right with God. Again, there's so many images of Jesus in the New Testament. That he's the bread of life the water of life. He's the son of man, the son of God, the gate. But here we get the picture of Jesus as the cornerstone. And the cornerstone, again, I'm not a builder. I mentioned this last week, but my understanding of the cornerstone is it's got to be cut perfectly, right? Because all the other stones are going to be aligned to that cornerstone. And so we have Jesus, the perfect stone, the living stone, the foundation of the foundation of this spiritual house, and we, like living stones, are being built into this spiritual house. And the more that you align yourself with that cornerstone, the better it's going to be for you, the stronger we're going to be as a church. The more you align yourself with that cornerstone. As I was thinking of that image, I, got, I do a lot of you know, presentation stuff, presentation software. Even if you've ever worked with presentation software, when you take like a text box and you're trying to like align it, and when you get it like centered, there's this like line that goes through it. And you're like, ah, oh, I got it, perfectly centered. That's, you know, the image I was getting as I think of aligning ourselves with Jesus. There's something ha that happens when we align our lives with Jesus, the chief cornerstone. It's like it aligns us and opens us up to the power of God through us, working through us, not only individually, but in our community. The more that we as a community and as individuals align ourselves with Jesus, the chief cornerstone, the more we're going to see and experience his power in our midst. 
So that's the first reason that we need the church community because Christ is in us. He, God dwells in our midst collectively in a special way and in us as we align ourselves. He dwells in our midst. But secondly, the second reason we need this church community is because we need the perspective of the community. We need the perspective of the members of this community. Again, verse 9 through 10 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The incredible thing about these phrases that Peter uses is that he's speaking to Jews and Gentiles and non-Jews, and he's using terminology that certainly was very familiar to the Jews, right? That the Israelites are God's chosen people, that they are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. That's who the, the Jews, the Israelites are. But he's applying this to not just the Jews, but the Gentiles, the non-Jewish Christians as well. He's saying, together, collectively, you are God's holy nation. Even though you're scattered among many nations, you are God's holy people. Remember, this is what, in Exodus 19, 5 through 6, God had said, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And now Peter is taking these words and applying them not just to the Israelites, but to Christians of every nation. To you. That you are a holy nation. That you are a chosen people. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. What nation you come from. Any other factor that divides people. If you are in Christ, he says, you are one you are God's chosen people. Let me read Ephesians chapter 2, 11 to 22. This is where Paul tries to get this across to the Jews and Gentiles of just what God has done, how amazing it is in this community he's formed. He said, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Notice the imagery here again. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So this is Paul writing what Peter wrote, echoing the same thing, that Jesus is the cornerstone, the foundation is the teaching of the apostles and prophets, and you all, no matter what nation, no matter what ethnicity, no matter what background, you are being built together to be a spiritual house in which God dwells by his spirit that there is unity despite the diversity. 
Paul put it this way in Galatians 3, 26 to 29. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Notice what he's saying. He's saying all the things that the world uses to divide people into categories, in Christ they're abolished, and you're one. It doesn't matter, male or female, slave or free. It doesn't matter what nationality, ethnicity, you're one in Christ. This is so important. I mean, now more than ever maybe, if you have not noticed that we live in a culture in which there's philosophies, ideologies being promoted that basically separate people into categories and say you're either you know, white or non-white. You are either male or female. You're either hetero or non-hetero. You're either cisgender or non-cisgender. And they're using this to categorize people into oppressors and oppressed groups. And it's causing chaos in our world. And this is the antidote. This is what Jesus says. No, in Christ, all those barriers fall down and you are one in Christ. All who trust in him, all who believe in him are united into one spiritual house. That diversity, is uni- it finds unity in Christ. And there's two main ways. I said we need the perspective of each other in this community because we come from diverse backgrounds. But we're united, and we need each other's perspective. There's two things in particular, two ways that we need it. The first is we need people to speak the truth and love to each other. As we're built together into the spiritual house, we need the community because we need men and women, brothers and sisters, who can speak the truth in love to us. Paul said, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. That's how we grow up into maturity and into Christ-likeness is by others speaking the truth in love to us. We need friends, brothers and sisters who encourage us, who challenge us, who point out the things that we are blind to that we can't see about ourselves. You can't do that from home. You understand that, right? You can't do that in isolation. Those who think, I can follow God just fine without being a part of a church, you know, I'll just listen to sermons and worship on my own, and I don't need the church community. You do need the church community. You need brothers and sisters who can speak the truth and love to you, encourage, challenge you, build you up when you're weak, point out to things that you're blind about yourself. You need each other. Amen. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You need each other, not just on a Sunday morning, but this is why we do community groups, discipleship groups, prayer groups, opportunities to meet together throughout the week, to get to know each other so that you can encourage, build each other up, speak the truth in love and have others speak the truth in love to you that we might grow up into maturity. And not only do you need people who are going to speak the truth in love, but you also need people who can share their knowledge and experience of God. Again, those who say, you know, I can just be fine from home. You need the perspective of others. Your perspective is limited on God. You need the perspective and experience of your brothers and sisters to help bring out fully who God is. 
on my own, I only see so much of God and know so much of God. But when I listen to the perspective of my brothers and sisters, especially those from diverse backgrounds, God becomes greater. One of the best quotes is from uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves. It's from his chapter on friendship, and he uses an analogy on friendship to talk about our perspective of God. He was part of a, a small group of friends. J.R.R. Tolkien was one of them. Another man named Charles was, was, was part of that group. And he, he reflects on what happened when Charles died. And he says this, In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specific Caroline joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. Hence, true friendship is the least jealous of loves. Two friends delighted to be joined by a third and three delight to be joined by a third and three by a fourth, if only the newcomer is qualified to become a real friend. They can then say, as the blessed souls say in Dante, here comes one who will augment our loves. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the very multitude of the blessed, which no man can number, increase the fruition which each has of God. For every soul, seeing him in her own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That, says an old author, is why the seraphim and Isaiah's vision are crying, holy, 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 to one another. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we all have. Does that make sense? He says, this explains how, you know, like if you're getting to know someone, maybe you're dating someone or, and then you see them like with their family and you're like, I feel like I don't even know you, you know, or you see them or you see them with their friends and you're like, oh my, you're a completely different person when you're with your friends. It's because you bring out part of their characteristic, part of their personality their family brings out another aspect. Their friends bring out other aspects. Different friends bring out different aspects of their personality. You are not alone. You can't bring out the whole of someone's personality, right? The whole of someone's character. And so he says by losing his friend, Charles, he lost part of Ronald, the part that only Charles could bring out. And he says, how much more true is that of God? That's why he says the angels are calling holy, holy, holy to one another. Do you see God? Do you see what I see? Do you see how great he is? They're calling out to one another. I can share, you know, my perspective of God, but I need the perspective of you. I need your perspective, your experience, what you've experienced of God to help me to worship God more fully, to help me to see him more clearly. That's why we need community, why we need the church to bring out God more fully that we might worship him and know him more fully. So again, we need the church community because we need the perspective of each other. We need others to speak the truth and love to us. We need others to bring out God more fully. I'm telling you, I am an introvert very much. A lot, I know a lot of you are introverts. You're not huge on community. When I say stand and greet one another, you're like, please don't anyone talk to me. Some of you I know are like that. My favorite times in the sanctuary are when none of you are here. And I say that not to offend you, but I love being here alone with God, with no one else present. When I go to a retreat center, I don't want anyone else there. I want it to be me and God, and that's it, okay? But I need you 
I need all of you. I know that. I have learned over time that just doing my own thing on my own by myself is not healthy, that I need other brothers and sisters who encourage me when I need encouragement, who speak the truth and love to me, who point out to things that I don't see about myself, who help me to see pictures of God and views of God that I don't see. I need people who disciple me and mentor me, who serve me, who pray for me, who encourage me. And I need others that I can pray for, that I can encourage, that I can serve. If I'm going to grow up in a maturity, I need others that I can serve and build up and speak the truth and love to. So as much as I'm an introvert, I need you in order to grow into maturity in Christ-likeness. And you need each other in order to grow into maturity in Christ-likeness. So the third reason we need the church community is because of the gifts of the community. Verse 9, or verse... um, Verse 9 and 10 says, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, chosen and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's verse 4 through 5 and 9 through 10 there. Notice how he's saying, Your priests. You think in the Old Testament, it was a very passive thing. You came and the priest did all the sacrifices, the priest did all the work, and the people kind of stood there. But now you're all priests. You've all been gifted by God. You all have service. You all have a part to play in the community. You all can minister God to one another, offering spiritual sacrifices to God. Later on in 1 Peter, he's going to say this, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. This picture of the church as a temple, as a collection of living stones, is supposed to reveal how interdependent we are. You take away one stone, it's going to affect the other stones around it. You're not just on your own. You are part of a building. And you have a part to play in serving each other and being served by each other. And you have all been given gifts by God to be used to build up the body. You're all priests with spiritual sacrifices to offer. Your service is needed. Your brothers and sisters need your gifts to serve them. So again, we're going to talk about this later on in 1 Peter, but again, just just to put the, the bug in your ear now, how has God gifted you? And how are you using those gifts to build up his body? How are you using those gifts to serve one another? The amazing thing is that he says here in this verse that we offer these spiritual sacrifices and they're acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's great to know that, that because of Jesus, whatever we have to give, even if we feel like it's just, you know, one talent versus the 10 talents or five talents, whatever we have to give is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Even if we feel like it's not much, even if we feel like we're not that great, we don't have much to give, It's received, it's appreciated, it's honored by God through Jesus Christ because we are offering it in the name of Jesus Christ. So I just want to encourage you who are here and those of you who are at home as well, you need the church community. The church is not a building. It's a collection of people. It's a community of men and women who've been brought to faith in Jesus Christ, who have been built together, are being built together in an interdependent community. 
to love, to serve each other, to build each other up. God dwells in our midst. And the more that we are aligned with him, the more powerful his presence is going to be in our midst. And that's what we want, right? I don't want us to come on a Sunday morning and walk away and feel like, you know, it was nice, but I don't feel like I met with God. We want God to dwell in our midst. We want to worship him, to be transformed by him, to become more like him when we get together. Whether it's here, whether it's gathering together in discipleship groups or community groups or in prayer groups, whether it's coming together one on one, two or three, because he said, wherever you're gathered in my name, I'm there with you. God dwells powerfully in the midst of the community. Let me close with prayer. Lord, we do thank you for this community of men and women. We, we know we're far from perfect. We know we're not perfectly aligned with the cornerstone. But nevertheless, we are here to worship you, to love you, to learn from you what it means to know you, to love each other and build each other up. And God, we pray that you would do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine through this church through the power that is at work within us, through your power, by your Holy Spirit, God. Pour out your spirit in this place. May your presence be so powerful here every time we gather together that men and women would be drawn to faith in you and built up in their faith, convicted of sin, encouraged where they are weak. May we be a community that worships you in spirit and in truth, that loves you with our whole heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loves our neighbor as ourself, that makes disciples of all nations, Lord. We thank you, God. We pray that you'd be honored in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.